Today on Night Night Spectre, we're giving heartfelt speeches, freeing gods, and kicking some major ass around Cairo as we discuss the season finale of Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Welcome to Night Night Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Elizabeth. And I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the show. It's bittersweet, but we finally arrived at the end of Moon Knight. In line with the rest of the episodes, this last one was action-packed, entertaining, and we're definitely excited to talk about it. Absolutely. But first, let's do a little housekeeping, as per usual. We would love to hear from our listeners, so email us at nks at loreparty.com with your thoughts and questions, and you might just see them appear on a future episode. You can find Lawrence at produced by underscore LK on Twitter and Twitch. And you can find Elizabeth at it's Rizbiff, I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at lore underscore party. Woo! Before we dive in, if you haven't watched the sixth and final episode of Moon Knight, Gods and Monsters on Disney Plus yet, now's your time to pause and go watch it if you don't want to hear any spoilers. And I mean, since it is the last episode, if you've watched the other five, it's probably good to watch the sixth one before you hear about what happens. Yeah, I hope you're not coming into this right now. (laughs) But if you're on episode, if you haven't watched any of the episodes, I mean, hell, go crazy. It's not live. You can always pause if it starts to get too much. But with that being uh, with that being said, you've been officially warned. And now let's get into our episode summary. We fade in on a lifeless Mark's body floating in the water of Alexander the Great's tomb. Harrow's followers then move him onto the steps and search him. Bobby hands Amit's Ushapti over to Harrow. After taking a moment to admire the Ushapti, Harrow looks over at Mark, smiles, and while placing the scarab on Mark's chest says, I'm sorry it had to be this way, Mark Spector. Stephen Grant, whoever else might be in there. As we're shown a very distraught and angry Layla standing behind a pillar, Harrow continues, Sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality. After Layla subdues one of Harrow's people, she sneaks over to see what's going on. Harrow walks over to his followers and holds up the Ushapti, and as everyone kneels before him, he asks, Who wants to heal the world? We then see Harrow's cane transform into a staff. As Harrow and his followers leave the tomb, Layla carefully makes her way to Mark's body. Realizing that he's dead, she's overwhelmed by emotion. However, upon noticing the scarab on Mark's chest, those emotions focus into vengeance as the look of determination comes over her face. We then see a caravan of four vehicles drive through the desert and then onto a paved road right before a police checkpoint. Once stopped at the checkpoint, Harrow gets out of the vehicle with his hands up. With guns now pointing at him from every direction, Harrow asserts that he doesn't need to show them his papers. They need to show them their souls. He then drives his new staff into the ground and judgment is cast upon the police around him. When the officer in front of Harrow survives the judgment, he says the familiar phrase, this is a face of a good man. 
Bobby then directs everyone to clear a path, and we see Layla has disguised herself to blend in with the group. As she starts to make her way to Harrow with knife in hand, Tarouette tries to speak to Layla through the deceased officers on the ground around her. She urges her to stop, even saying that Mark is the one telling her to, and warns that Harrow is too powerful for her to stop alone. She confirms that Mark has a chance to come back to life, but he needs Kanchu, and Layla needs to break Kanchu's Ushapti to release him. Tarouette then says Layla could be her avatar, but she refuses, saying she'll fight Harrow on her own. Just then, Bobby tells everyone that it's time to go, and Layla loses this chance to make a move. Harrow and his followers, still including Layla in disguise, climb up the side of the Pyramid of Giza. Meanwhile, inside the pyramid, the avatars of the other gods are convening because of the disturbance they've felt from Harrow's actions. Using his staff to part the walls of the pyramid, Harrow enters the chamber of the gods. As he approaches the avatars, Harrow says, you're judges, not warriors. This doesn't need to happen. But a fight breaks out, giving Layla the perfect opportunity to sneak away to find Kanchu Zushapti. Turning away from the defeated avatars, Harrow is then handed Ahmet Zushapti, which he promptly throws on the ground, breaking it and releasing Ahmet. Upon her release, Ahmet asks who she owes her gratitude, but Harrow states that he's a humble servant and she owes him nothing. When Ahmet then says Harrow's scales lack balance, we see tears come to his eyes. He had hoped his penance might have corrected his imbalance, but says yet another familiar phrase, I accept the scales regardless of the outcome. But Ahmet reveals that his death has been delayed, that while his scales are unbalanced, he is the one who set her free and is the avatar that she needs, pointing out that her precious avatar, who did have balanced scales, imprisoned her for 2,000 years. As she tells him not to let the pain of the past control him, Ahmet touches Harrow's head, bestowing him the power of her avatar. Meanwhile, Layla steps on Kanchu Zushapti, freeing him. Upon his release, he acknowledges that he doesn't sense Mark in this world. But rather than offering to help Mark, he tries to persuade Layla to be his next avatar. But Layla absolutely refuses, stating that they will work together without her enslaving herself. In the chamber, Amit announces that they will purify the souls of Cairo and then the world as the group goes to leave. But Kanchu blocks their path out of the pyramid, telling Amit he cannot allow her to proceed. We then look upon the field of reeds from behind Mark. As we hear Tarouet say, the scales are balanced. Your heart is full. Your journey is over. Mark is amazed by the quiet. Tarouet tells him that he's manifesting the peace that he's always wanted but never had. Mark asks about Stephen. She tells him that he's gone, that the Duat has him, encouraging him to enjoy his peace, but Mark isn't comfortable with getting eternal peace while Stephen is lost in the sand forever and decides to go back for him even after Tarouette tells him that it doesn't work like that. As Mark walks away from Tarouette, the field of reeds fades into the sands of the Duat and he notices Stephen in the sand before him. Back in the chamber of the gods, Ahmet tells Kanchu that her path is set same as anyone's. Kanchu criticizes her for speaking of balance, yet choosing a sinner like Harrow as her avatar. But Amit brushes him off as jealous of his loyalty to her. Once face to face with Steven, Mark jokes that he's looking a little rough, but then says, from the moment you arrived, way back then, we were so young. You saved me. I survived because I knew I wasn't alone. You were always there, alive, full of hope. And I tried to protect that, and I failed. I couldn't protect you. 
Mark notices that he too is now starting to become frozen in the sands, but continues saying, but you didn't abandon me. And although that field back there was looking, it was looking pretty good, there's no way in hell I'm going to abandon you. Mark watches as his left arm freezes, but still continues to tell Stephen, you are the only real superpower I ever had. And as his face starts to freeze as well, we see that Mark froze as he was putting his full heart in Stephen's reached out hand. With the two now frozen connected by one heart, it seems like the duot has taken them both. But then the gates of Osiris open. Mark's heart begins to glow, and the two are released from the paralysis of the duat. The heart disappears. They share a cute reunion with a hug and Stephen acknowledging that what Mark just said is no little speech. As they let go of each other, Stephen notices that the gates have been open. Meanwhile, in the chamber, Amit claims that for a god, Khonshu is low on faith. To which he responds, you'll never learn. And a fight breaks out. As Mark and Stephen look towards the gate, we see a tidal wave of sand rushing towards them. Upon noticing themselves, they both start to head to the door as fast as they can. However, Mark can't fully walk yet and tells Stephen, I'm slowing us down, just go. But Stephen isn't leaving him behind. Just then, we hear Tyrette yell, coming through, as she steers her ship towards the wave. She then yells, Osiris, you old softy, and blocks the sand, allowing them a chance to get to the gates. In the chamber, Kanchu seems to have lost this fight. Amit tells him that if he asks her to spare him, she will but he tells her he would choose obliteration over mercy. And just as Amit is about to take another swing at Khonshu, he senses Mark has passed through the gates and leaves the fight before he can be hit again. Now back in his body, Mark crawls out of the water, calling for Khonshu. As he reaches the sarcophagus platform on his hands and knees, we see the two bullets fall to the ground. And as he stands up, the Moon Knight suit wraps itself around Mark. Upon being reunited with Mark in his Moon Knight suit, Kanchu says, I knew you'd miss me, to which Mark replies, Layla turned you down, didn't she? Ignoring that, Kanchu updates Mark on the situation, that Ahmed is free, and he was not strong enough to stop her, and that he needs Mark's help. But Mark changes to Stephen as Mr. Knight, who asks Kanchu how this arrangement is going to work now, seeing as they did save Kanchu, and now they come as a package deal. Though frustrated that Stephen would try to negotiate now with so much at stake, Kanchu gives Stephen his word that he will release them. Stephen agrees to these terms and then asks how they're going to get to Cairo. Kanchu tells Stephen that he forgets that he is still the god of the night sky. And as the sands around his feet start moving, Stephen tells Mark that he can take this one. Now with Mark's Moon Knight, we see him jump into the sky, crescent-shaped cape fanned out. We're taken back to the chamber of the gods where Osiris's avatar, Salim, is struggling to crawl. Layla sees him and helps him up. As she's supporting him, he asks if she's the one that released Khonshu, and she replies yes. Further down the corridor, the two pause. Layla leans Salim up against the wall and asks him how they stop Amit. Struggling to speak, he tells her that they need to bring her to the chamber and imprison her in a mortal form. And with his last breath, says that in order to imprison her, they need more avatars than they have left. Realizing that he's dead, and she's out of options, Layla asks Taurat if she's there. Taurat's voice rings out of the deceased avatar, squealing Layla with excitement, telling her she's thrilled and they're going to have such fun together. This signals Harrow of her location, and seeing that he's coming for her, Layla runs. As the pieces of the pyramid are coming down around her from Harrow's attacks, 
Layla is possessed by Towerette, who says that she would be delighted to have her as her avatar. Layla specifies that it's temporary. Towerette agrees, and then says that her father is going to be over the moon when he hears about this, revealing that Towerette met him when she took him to the Field of Reeds. As more debris falls around Layla, now blocking our view of her, Towerette says that she has a fabulous costume in mind. We then see Moon Knight flying across the sky towards Cairo, and Harrow, who is atop the Pyramid of Giza. Harrow uses the staff to give power of judgment to the followers of Amit. Scale tattoos showing up on their wrists, Bobby directs them to judge everyone. The souls of the unworthy fly through the sky and into Ahmed's mouth as she stands outside of the pyramid. With each new soul, she grows in size, eventually becoming taller than the pyramid itself. After getting a glimpse of Layla in her fabulous costume, we're brought back to Moon Knight flying in the air and landing on the pyramid near Harrow. As the two clash, we also see giant Khonshu try to strike Ahmed. Once Khonshu has her pinned down with his staff, Ahmed says, there is so little difference in what we want for this world. Why do this dance for the rest of time? Kanju tells her, you know the answer. I only punish those who have chosen evil. To which she replies, so do I, only I don't give them the satisfaction of committing it. After breaking away from the staff, Ahmed asks Kanju why he fights when he knows that he will fail. And Kanju says, because it is his choice, the very thing that she takes away. As Harrow starts to get the upper hand in the fight, Layla comes to Mark's rescue, stopping Harrow from killing him. When Harrow tries to attack Layla, she's able to deflect his shots right back at him. Mark rushes over to hug Layla, telling her that he's so glad she's okay. Layla asks how he came back, but before she gets an answer, he switches to Steven, who tells Layla how amazing she looks. He then tells her that he's really jazzed about showing her these new skill sets he has, and Layla tells him to show her what he's got. And we see now that Steven does, in fact, have some moves and can kick ass with those little sticks he was so excited about before. As the fighting ensues, we see Mark and Steven now fluidly working the exchange of control into their own unique fighting style. As Mark, Steven, and Layla work together to tag Team Harrow, we also see that, unsurprisingly, Layla is using her new avatar powers to her advantage and kicking some major ass as well. At one point, saving a child who asks her if she's an Egyptian superhero, to which Layla responds, I am. As both Kanchu and Mark seem to be moments away from defeat, each being stabbed in the chest by a staff, Mark looks over at Layla, still being attacked, and then back up at Harrow, holding his staff in his chest. His eyes roll back in his head, and the next thing we see is Mark holding Harrow's now broken staff to his forehead, surrounded by many dead followers of Amit. Mark tosses the staff and stands up, looking around at the destruction and asks, That wasn't you, was it, Stephen? Stephen replies, Not a chance, mate. Layla then chimes in, asking Mark what the hell that was, and he says with a confused look on his face that he blacked out. They then look over the top of the buildings to see Ahmet dragging Kanchu's body. Layla tells Mark to get Harrow and that she knows how to stop Ahmet. They bring Harrow into the chamber of the gods, hold hands, and start the spell. As the spell starts, Ahmet tells Kanchu that they could have made this place their paradise, but Kanchu says it's too late. She will be destroyed. The two are successfully able to bind Ahmet to Harrow, and as the last bit of her is bound to him, she says through Harrow, you can never contain me. I'll never stop. A normal-sized Kanchu appears in the chamber and tells Mark to finish it. Mark gets in position to take Harrow and Ahmet's life and says, I have to finish this. If not, I'll never be free. But Layla stops him, telling him that he has a choice. 
he is free. Kanchi argues that the choice is vengeance, that they cannot take the chance of Amit getting out and killing again. Mark tells Kanchu that now he sounds just like her, and if he wants them dead, he'll have to do it himself. With no argument from Kanchu, only silence, Mark then tells Kanchu, now release us. After a moment, Kanchu breaks his silence and says, as you wish, and then leaves the chamber. The Moon Knight suit starts to unravel from Mark's body, and the crescent in his chest glows until all we see is white. They are now sitting back in Dr. Harrow's office. Stephen asks, so this is what reality looks like? Harrow answers, the imagination is very real. Stephen then asks if he thinks Kanchu and Ahmed are real. Harrow says no. Mark then says, and what if we disagree, Doc? What if we believe something different? Harrow replies that their work here continues. Stephen then asks for how long. Harold walks away from them, saying, for as long as a piece of string. Mark and Stephen both notice the bloody footprints that Dr. Harrow is leaving behind. Looking down, Harrow asks why he's bleeding. Stephen then tells him he doesn't know as much as he thinks he does and gets up out of the chair. Mark then says, while it's tempting to accept Harrow's diagnosis, Stephen finishes saying that they'd rather go save the world. And as Stephen says, later skaters, they fall back and wake up in their London flat. As they sit up in bed, Mark asks if Stephen is there, and he confirms, saying that he can't believe this worked. Mark says he can't believe Stephen lives in this frickin' mess, and then face plants onto the floor because of Stephen's better strain, which ends the main episode. But in true Marvel fashion, we have an after credit scene, which starts with us seeing a Dr. Rubber Ducky next to a cup filled with sand. But as a disheveled Harrow knocks the cup over, we see that coffee spills out onto the table rather than sand, and that he's sitting in a psych ward common area. A nurse tries to come over to take him to bed, but a man, not yet visible to us, wearing black driving gloves and a dark denim jacket, comes over and says in Spanish, I'll take him. The nurse is confused, but after the man tells her to calm down, also in Spanish, she walks away and he rolls Harrow through the halls of the facility. Harrow starts to notice that there are dead bodies of staff on the ground throughout the hall. The man takes Harrow out of the facility and throws him in the back of a white limousine. As the man closes the door, he starts to push the wheelchair out of the way, but instead kicks it away from the limo. Harrow looks over at the other side of the limo and laughs. We see Kanchu dressed in a white suit. Harrow, still laughing, tells Kanchu that he can't hurt them. Kanchu calmly says, Yeah, you want to know something? Mark Spector truly believed that after he and I parted ways that I wanted his wife to be my avatar. Why would I ever need anybody else when he has no idea how troubled he truly is? Kanchu then taps on the window next to him, and as the partition rolls down, he says, meet my friend Jake Lockley. Jake turns around and says to Harrow, today is your turn to lose, in Spanish, and raises a gun. Harrow stutters, wait, but with a smile on his face, Jake shoots. The limo drives away from the hospital, and we see the plates say Spectre as the scene ends. And so that is the the synopsis of the season finale of the Disney Plus Moon Knight series. This this episode does a good job of, like every episode, bringing up more questions, bringing up as many questions as it, it solved in the previous episode. So we're going to discuss our overall thoughts the episode in general, and some of the character development that we got to see. All right. So for being like 
43 minutes long. There was a lot going on in this episode for all of the characters. We talked in the past about how Moon Knight is good at showing the character development even in just one episode, and this really did that. I think, though, when we specifically look at this episode, one of my favorite parts is the, the relationship dynamic between Mark and Steven and how that's grown. I was really happy to see the fluidity and how they fight, switching back and forth uh, when they're fighting Harrow. And I'm also absolutely here for Steven's newfound confidence and moves, like him standing up to Kanchu. That was great. And my other favorite part was Layla's appearance as Towerette's avatar. I love that Towerette confirmed that her father went to the Field of Reeds and that his little scarab is now the Scarlet Scarab and working with the gods that he knew walked among them. And, I mean, we also can't forget the end credit scene because, obviously, I'm so here for a Spanish-speaking smiling as he shoots Jake Lockley. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, like, you know, when I first saw the timestamp, too, I was it kind of confirmed the internet rumors that were just like, oh, the last episode is the shortest episode of the series, which was, like, admittedly, like, a well, kind of a what-the-fuck moment considering all of the stuff that happened in the last episode and how much in the series that needed to be wrapped up up until that point but honestly like they wrapped things up very nicely everything just like lined up very good you know from mark's like emotional reunion with steven to like layla becoming the hero that honestly she was always meant to be throughout this entire series to the final like sort of buddy cop duo of jake and conchu like the episode was pretty damn near perfect it was everything i wanted it to be with a little bit more thrown in there that being said my favorite part of the show has to be the long-awaited reveal of jake lockley it's been something that we've talked about in every single episode (laughs) and it's something that's been teased in nearly every single episode and honestly it worked out really well to bring it to 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 show it in the way that they did and I, I, what I really love about the reveal of Jake Lockley is it shows that Conchu is just as, like, I guess, morally ambiguous as he normally is, and that he's not done with Mark in the least bit, and that Moon Knight still exists. Like, Moon Knight is still very much functioning, and it still is Mark Spector, whether he knows, whether he knows it or not, you know, in the form of Jake Lockley. So... You know, obviously, this episode brings up just as many emotions and questions that we will definitely get into later in this episode. But now let's take a look at some of the different characters. And what character could we possibly start with other than Mark Spector himself? Mark was. I think this was this wrapped up beautifully for Mark, especially after what we talked about in the last episode and just exploring Mark's whole childhood like. He finally got peace, but he also finally understood that, like, I think he finally also, he got the peace that he was looking for, but he also finally understood the people that have been supporting the, supporting him and protecting him, you know, mainly Steven. The fact that he didn't choose to stay in the field of reeds says a ton about Mark, and like, I know that he he felt some type of way about, you know, Tarot telling him that he didn't need Steven anymore. But it was really cool to see him, like, leave Paradise just to be with Steven. You know, like, he wasn't about to... He wasn't going to accept the fact that he was the, the sole survivor if it meant the person that was helping him, you know, was left alone, frozen. 
Yeah, because he didn't even have, there was not like, for one, Tarowitz, like, you can't come back. And also, the fact that he doesn't have, like, actual complete confirm- confirmation that he's going to be able to get back to, like, his body at this point. Like, he might, he, like, chanced being stuck in the duat as well. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, part of me feels like he was okay with it. He he left without the promise of being able to come back. Oh, like, absolutely. This was, was, if Stephen was going to be left to this fate, then Mark was too, because they are a package deal. They're one and the same. Yeah, and I mean, as he was frozen, he, there is like not any hint of regret to his decision to come back to Steven. Yeah. This just shows how far Mark has come since like the first few episodes where he was more of the, the lone wolf character and wasn't able to acknowledge the people that were trying to be there for him. Like this was a very much a full personality shift for Mark. And it just shows like how much healing he did in the last episode. Absolutely. And when we can look at Steven, who to the surprise of neither of us, because we knew Steven is not dead. Yep. So there you go. Read it. <laughs> and I think that was one of our most confident speculations over the course of this show that Steven is absolutely not dead. Steven shows so much growth in this episode from like gaining the confidence to negotiate with Conchu and letting him and Mark to letting him and Mark free and to beating the hell out of some bad guys. Like he's been actually training for this, even though we, you know, we've seen him in his first debut as Mr. Knight, not knowing what the heck he's doing. Yeah, it's good to see that the muscle memory thing finally clicked. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's like, it's good to see that, like, from the last episode where he was like, you know, if Mark's got this, then so do I. So, like, it is, it is good to see Steven in full force and Mr. Knight not looking like a weenie right. for once. Given Mr. Knight the true respect that we wanted <laughs> as comic book lovers ourselves. And, you know, um, like I think honestly, the the shining character in this this episode and the series has been Layla. Absolutely. Like I think despite what they they put Layla through and they put Layla through something, I feel like every single episode she always manages, you know, to move forward. Like, you know, she has to mourn Mark's death, but then like immediately goes on the path of vengeance, which it's partially vengeance and it's partially like I got to stop Harrow from killing a bunch of people. So it's killing two birds with the same stone. So like she didn't just grieve. She got up and and immediately decided to to do some work. Yeah. And without any godly assistance. Yep. And even though it was offered to her multiple times. Right. Eventually she takes it, which is good because she would have probably got waxed. Obviously, like she's this is a last resort thing. Like she didn't want to do it. But, you know, obviously, like she's not going to let all these people die and this bad stuff happen. So she's making that decision for herself, at least. Yeah. And it was good to see her take up the mantle of, you know, Scarlet Scarab, despite what um, incels on the Internet say. But sad bros. Yeah, the sad all the sad bros. But it is honestly, it's it was really cool to see her take up uh take up that that mantle as this hero. And it's it's like awesome that Layla can continuously move forward and never lose sight of her goals. Like I like that she refused Kachu's offer and her partnership with Tarouette was on her terms. It wasn't out of desperation. She made it clear that it was temporary and she set those ground rules. 
Layla's strong will and spirit always shines through. And I think like this honestly was just like, this was the pinnacle and like, you know, hopefully this temporary partnership becomes more of a permanent one. And I mean, honestly, even just focusing on like the Scarlet Scarab for a second, it was awesome that, you know, this was uh, Layla got to take up his mantle because the director even mentioned the, the day this episode came out that, you know, they did the he did this in honor of his daughter because he said his daughter uh, always from the time she was four wanted to straighten her hair and never got to see any superheroes that looked like her. So this was a very cool like this was just a very cool thing to do. Absolutely. And now on to the assholes of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good split because mostly, <laughs> mostly everybody is an asshole after this point. So asshole number one is uh, Arthur Harrow, which gotta say, I think, I mean, Ethan Hawke played the shit out of this role. So like he was always top tier, but this was like an especially interesting episode. There are so many different emotions that he had to go through during this episode. I think this is like, you know, we talked about how Layla's put through so much shit during episodes. I think this is the the episode that he has put through the most. Yeah. Like he had a little bit of remorse for shooting Mark in the chest twice with his tiny gun. He, he did seem like, you know, hey, I apologize to Mark or Stephen or whoever else is in there. Hint. <laughs> but again, what we see is that Harrow is not this stereotypical sort of cult leader. He does actually believe in this cause. And he is so affected by his, you know, the, whatever he went through with Kanchu that like he is very much invested in it. And we see, you know, we see that when he brings Ahmet back, but then is 100% willing to die for, for the cause. Like he's super emotional about his, his scales that, that aren't balanced, but he's also willing to die because of it. He even met, even offers to pass on the role of Ahmet's avatar to any one of his followers with balanced scales. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, he straight up tells Ahmet, you don't owe me anything, I'm just a follower. And, like, was very much just willing to, like, hit the bricks with his soul in order to uh, keep the cause going forward. Yeah, I, I, I do feel bad, though, that his loyalty to Amit just resulted in him being sent to a psychiatric hospital and then murdered in a limo by Jake at the order of Kanchu. Like, in some ways, I feel like his character, especially with how Ethan Hawke portrayed him, deserved kind of like a blaze of glory end. But obviously, that's not (laughs) how all of these things work out. I mean, Jake did beat his ass multiple times in this episode, (laughs) like very brutally. But like, I'm also not that we got to see, unfortunately, but that first time was probably pretty epic because a lot of people were shocked. And like, (laughs) this is this is coming when two giant monsters are fighting in the background and people's souls are getting sapped out of their bodies. So like that was one hell of an ass whooping. But I also I, I mean, not to speculate in this part of the episode, but, you know, I also wonder, is Arthur Harrow really dead or is this just uh I don't know. Is he? Maybe he can come back. Maybe he didn't die. But who knows? All I know is that he did technically get shot in the back of a limo. So for all intents and purposes, we'll just label him as deceased for now. All right. And so on to our next ass. Asshole number two of this episode is everybody's favorite. Alligator head. (laughs) Alligator headed God. Like, honestly, 
<laughs> we did. We talk about characters showing development. Um, there's like the only real development that Ahmed shows is that you know it's it's probably not like a, a good idea to pick an avatar with balance skills when you're doing some less than balanced schemes, or you'll be imprisoned for two thousand years. So um, casual. But like, I guess what we can or cannot appreciate about Ahmed, depending on which way you look at it, is how Ahmed is actually the stereotypical cult leader. The thing that we were like, oh, it's refreshing that Hero isn't. Ahmed is. And we see that nearly immediately when Hero is like, nah, if I don't have balanced skills, I should die. Also, you know, he kind of did that to a bunch of people. And Ahmed was like, nah, you set me free. So it's cool. Like, we'll prolong your death. Maybe I don't need an avatar with skills, which kind of destroys the entire system. But, you know, hey, whatever. It So like, like it was, we see it's like, I'm going to do what I feel like is right with an asterisk. Right. He was like, you'd think those 2,000 years of her being <laughs> imprisoned would give her time to think about, maybe if my avatar's scales were balanced and I got imprisoned for 2,000 years, maybe what I'm doing is not the thing to do. And by, by accepting the unbalanced scales, though, she shows that she doesn't even buy into her own shtick. Like, she is almost... Like, less than Kanchu in that degree. Like, Kanchu will sit up here and tell you, like, yeah, I did some things, but it helped the travelers of the night. Ahmet was just like, hmm, your skills don't balance. We'll just prolong your death since you let me out. Like, Right. And, and I feel like, you know, like, she's like, oh, who do I own my gratitude tour or whatever? Like, she clearly is not. There has not been like the a communication between them. Yeah. He has clearly done all of this out of the out of his own like l- like love for this cause. Yeah, like Emmett has zero like prior preconceived notions that she's going to be let out by anybody, let alone Harrow. Which makes it even funnier because like his whole grand cause just blows up in his face like in two seconds, even though he doesn't notice it because he's being too much of a fanboy. But like, yeah, it's like, hey, remember all those scales you balance like that homeless guy that you promised food and that old lady that said she didn't do anything. They died. This man didn't get to die. Just goes to show you, you shouldn't believe in the cult that involves a gator headed God and some balanced scale tattoos. But that also brings us to our. We'll say this is our final asshole, but not the last person we'll talk to. This is like of the asshole trio. This is number three. I guess, yeah, we could say, uh, yeah, which is uh, the one, the only Conchu who is staying morally ambiguous. He's out here trying to save people from being judged before they actively choose to commit the evil, but then he's also like using a loophole to keep his avatar, even though, even if it's not Mark or Steven. Not that he's probably upset about losing Steven, <laughs> but this is what happens when you don't open that third sarcophagus. <laughs> this don't. is really their fault. <laughs> don't know what else is in there and then you make a deal with like the ultimate trickster right like what i what i <laughs> like about kaju and this this episode honestly is like he and i met are like two sides of the same coin and the best part about it is even though Ahmet doesn't buy into her own cause worth shit she still recognizes the fact that she and kaju aren't that different kaju is like no the big separator is that like I let someone be bad before I judge them. Yeah, he gives them like the option of free will to make that choice. And which is the good part. 
The right. bad part about Kanchu is that like he delivers this judgment using questionable means that would go against his own system. Exactly. And so like I like you guys are basically the same. The only difference is like I just don't obliterate a whole swath of people. I manipulate one guy into beating people up individually after I deem that they've done something without questioning the things that I've done in the very beginning. Absolutely. But hey, that's what happens when you are a god judging regular ass people. Right. But we we do get to see him have his glow up from being in his like, you know his his rags. Yeah, his rags, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> dressed to to being dressed in his Mr. Knight esque suit. Um I loved I mean, obviously, you know, from a comic book standpoint, I'm I'm loving seeing him back in the suit that I'm am used to for the most part seeing him in. So that was a nice touch that he had that kind of that change. If oh. that's the only change he had from like a <laughs> development standpoint, I guess I'll take it. Yes, because we get to see that Kanchu is just as manipulative as ever. Like <laughs> even more manipulative by the end of the episode. Hint our next person that's not an asshole. I'll just say they're they're not technically an asshole. They are just a guy that aligns with Kanchu and has not revealed himself to his friends. Yeah, it's just a, a product of whatever situation <laughs> arose that made, it created him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I mean when you when you die and you only decide to give go to therapy for two thirds of your mind, <laughs> there is there you know there lies the problem. Yes, yeah, someone was left out, and so they're going to continue to do the same thing. So we finally get to see Jake Lockley. Right, and what we didn't, I from from my standpoint, we definitely didn't see enough of Jake Lockley through this entirety of the show. But at least we got to see enough of him in the end credits to know that he definitely enjoys dealing out justice for Kanchu. And while he doesn't have his mustache, he has his iconic hat, and I'll take that. Yeah, I'm like also kind of wondering, like, how much this man likes dealing out justice? Because I'm wondering some of those hospital people, like, did they just kind of get in the way? Yeah. I feel like yes. Oh, okay. Because I'm, I'm just like, damn, I feel like dude. He's like, you're in the way of me completing said mission. So casualties may arise. Yeah, I'm like, damn, dude, I would have uh, just moved. Yeah. So like, this is where we see like the morality <laughs> kind of uh, the, uh, the ex- ethics of killing people kind of shift a little bit, I think. I And like, obviously, we only have this one clip. So we don't know exactly for sure. Like, are these people that were, you know working at the hospital, bad people or something like that. Who knows? I think what the, the, the biggest the biggest twist was getting to see that Kanchu and Jake Lockley have a friendship because in the comic books, Kanchu was really off put by Jake and his like violent actions like Kanchu being the morally ambiguous guy that he is setting up a whole thing so he could steal someone's body was like, whoa, you go too far when it comes to fighting like Calm it down there, man. <laughs> and that's and that just say something, I guess. But I like now that it's like, look at my friend Jake Lockley. Look at his gun. This is my buddy, buddy old pal. Like I, I from from like the, from the body count in the hospital to shooting Harrow with his tiny gun in the back of a Rolls Royce Phantom, nonetheless. Fancy. It's good to know that that Jake exists, and it also just gets to show that like Conchu's not done. Mark is still Moon Knight. And hopefully something will happen where he'll realize that and become Moon Knight again. And now for something that's a little less exciting than a Jake reveal or Conchu in a suit. 
but it's still relevant. An ad break. We'll be right back. And now we're back. So let's get into some character quotes. And so the first uh, character quote, the first character quote that we want to cover is from Harrow. And it's, sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality. Isn't that a hilarious thing to say, considering how this man, where this man ends up? But no, I think this is is an excellent quote. I think this is an excellent quote. I don't think Harrow knew how true this would end up being for Mark and Steven. Like, they honestly have have getting shot in the chest twice and going to the duot and hanging out with a hippo <laughs> to to really like that that's how they grew together and how they you know learned to to work together that's where they learned to understand each other and ultimately it created a well functioning ass kicking moon knight character that was ultimately their demise so they have a hero to thank for that <laughs> yeah and because of that, technically, uh, Kanchu was able to make a fake deal. So now he could just hang out with his best friend all the time. And <laughs> that's how that's how Arthur Harrow got two in the chest. So I was like, bro, boy, do you not know how true that shit is? Because like, uh, yeah. Right. And it's also I, I feel like it's ironic since Harrow told Kanchu in the first place that he had him to thank for his victories. So, again, we're talking about duality through the course of this show. We've yeah. got that as well. You lock me in a stone, I shoot you in the chest. <laughs> Is this an eye for an eye? <laughs> but yeah, no, this was a, this honestly, this was a good, this was a quote that really, um, honestly, and it affected a lot of characters in the, the episode too. Cause like, I think to some extent you can say that this also affected Layla. She experienced Mark's death. She dealt with that. And for a brief moment, she was on the war path. Someone got killed. Yeah, but honestly, I think it was. I think it was. Um, I don't. I. I mean, this is just real, more speculation. But I honestly just kind of feel like that was the moment that she let go of all of those the negative feelings that she had towards Mark uh, regarding her father and some of the things that we've seen in previous episodes. For Harrow, I don't know. I just think it's just getting killed. But <laughs> and I, mean, I feel like maybe like. You know, if he's going to do the par- the the parallel, be like, oh, I've got you to thank for this victory, where S- Stephen and Mark have Harrow to thank for theirs. M- maybe, like, Conchie breaking him was his own, you know, kind of, like, quote-unquote death. Yeah. Like, made him see what, I mean, whatever version of clarity, like, <laughs> in reality you got yeah. with him. Yeah, it made him realize that, it's, I mean, I don't want to be like, made him realize evil is bad. It made him real. <laughs> it made him realize that, like, Sometimes, given the opportunity, giving people the opportunity is just as bad. Right. Like, like we've talked about, like, I feel like when we talk about Harold this entire time is he's got great points. The execution of them, though, is where, like, struggle. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So our second quote is from Mark. You are the only real superpower I ever had. I think the the speech that this comes up in is such an emotional speech and the ending line, like this ending line had me. Um, in the beginning of the series, both Kanju and Mark acted like Steven was just this like thing in the way, like he's a worm parasite and just like, let me hit control the body. Like, let me do this. Like, don't get in the way of this. 
Um, but now Mark has really come to accept that the only reason he's been able to survive his traumas has been because of Stephen. And, you know, for anybody who's suffering from traumatic experiences, surviving in and of itself is a superpower. Yeah, and I think, um, honestly, like, even in the last episode, Mark was said, said to Stephen, like, don't look at this thing because, like, it goes against what you were created to do. And in this episode, he treats Stephen like a person yeah. and treats and shows that, like, he understands that it's not fair that Stephen made the sacrifice to protect him and, like, he just is supposed to accept that. Like, he, him acknowledging that Stephen has been his protector, like, Stephen shielded him from, like, the abuse of his mother all those times in his uh, early childhood. Yeah. I, I think when you, I mean, Mark is a legitimate superhero. He has, you know, the power that he gets from the the Moon Knight suit and everything. And obviously, like, he in and of himself was a mercenary beforehand. So he has the combat skills and everything to protect himself. But I think the the fact that he's like, you are the only real superhero superpower that I had is really it says a lot and speaks so highly of Steven and well-deserved. Also the fact that Mark feels like a superpower is being able to protect people. That was a very good, very like nice thing to say because like we've seen Mr. Knight grab a bumper and rip it out of the car. Like Mark has super strength. Mark is uses like how he said in the previous episode, how he uses his power or how he wished people could kill him because he was so tired of having to take lives and everything. Like he was using his power to deal out justice, not to technically protect people. It's like, you know, Conchie says the travelers of the night, but it's not a specific person. It's just people that are deemed to be bad. So the fact that um, like he's acknowledged that Steven protecting him is his only, uh, you know, was the only real superpower that he ever had is does speak volumes. And it speaks volumes for Mark's character development as well. Absolutely. And so another quote that we have. Speaking of character development. <laughs> yes. Speaking of character development, the third guy. This is, I liked this quote because it was, I don't know. I just liked this quote. I liked how this episode wrapped up. The third quote is from Jake Lockley. Today is your turn to lose. But imagine I said that in Spanish because he said it in <laughs> Spanish and I can't speak Spanish. But today is your turn to lose is I love this quote because what a fitting end. What a fitting end for Arthur Harrow. Yes. It, and also what a fitting only line for Jake. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well, like his last line. I think it, it's a good wrap up for Arthur Harrow. Like, think about all the stuff he's done to the to get to the end of this episode or to get to the end of the series. Like he's. Allowed people to die. He's killed people himself. He's manipulated a court. Um, he's done. He's tried to really put Layla and Mark against each other. He's like done a lot of evil, manipulative things in hopes that it would balance his scales. And it never did. He yeah, like he actually did a lot of winning yeah. over the course of the show. Like he's been successful in a lot of the things that he has tried to do. Yeah. He's wormed his way out of everything. And even when he should have died because his scales were imbalanced, kept winning mm -hmm. and became an avatar. 
So now this is just like your luck has run out. Today is your time to lose. And I'm going to shoot you with a similar gun. Which is a good way to wrap it up. I just loved that quote. So with our, with some of our character quotes out of the way, we want to move on to everyone's favorite section, the burning questions section of the episode. So first question is when Taurat says, if he leaves, he can't return to the field of reeds. Does that mean like ever? And if so, why can't he come back? Because it feels weird that you can't go back to a good afterlife if you leave on your own accord to go save people. Like, are we really going to implement a no re-entries policy to the field of reeds? I feel like, honestly, it's because his uh, his scale it his scales balanced. I don't know. Maybe there's something about his scales being unbalanced if he can't let go, Stephen. And by going out into the duot with like no chance of survival to save Steven. Isn't that like, I don't know, unbalanced? Feels like, because it feels like the thing that got him into the the uh, field of reeds in the first place was that he was forced to basically let Steven go. And when he did that, he got the peace that he was, that they said that he was always looking for. So like, maybe it's like you can't be at peace unless you re- unless you let this part of yourself go. What you think about it is like Stephen is technically a construct of Mark's childhood trauma. So it's like Stephen is also a constant. Stephen is a great, great person, but he is also a constant reminder of the thing, the uh, abuse that Mark went through as a kid. Yeah, but I don't know that that should make him unbalanced because like when you go through traumas, that stuff always stays with you. But it did when he was on the boat. Hey, I don't make I mean, these rules. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it in the last episode. I th- feel like the scales balancing was more of a them both, like them kind of like switching roles and being more balanced themselves. Like Stephen Tate making that sacrifice and like being the protector when he has been like when he's in control, the timid, nonviolent one. And Mark is always the one who's trying to do things alone, but then he accepts help from Stephen. So it, it balances the them in that sense so if that is how the scales balance then it for me leaves the question of like why can't he go back see i always felt like the scales balance just because um steven is no longer i guess it's just to me it's just that steven is no longer there because like he created steven to survive and even Mark was like, yeah, you've been bleeding into my life after your mom died because he didn't deal with all of those emotional issues that he had as a kid. So like him being in the field of reeds, enjoying the peace was just like, I felt like it was representative of him just not feeling that like deep emotional pain that he had beforehand. But on the other hand, he did just see a person in a physical body like throw themselves overboard to save him so like it's it is a strange thing it's like hey here on one hand you can just have peace and be fine Mm -hmm. and it'd be cool and on the other hand the only thing that you have to live with is also connected to everything else that would cause you to be unbalanced in the first place so it is weird yeah but i mean maybe it was just like you can't just come from the duot into the field of reeds because <laughs> if you no could do because like if you could do that then everybody could do that and you're not on a boat and you gotta have a boat who knows 
Hey man, spent way too long thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's uh he's got a, a, a personal connection with <laughs> Tower and be like, hey, need to go uh, do me a favor, do me a solid, bring me back on the boat. So our next question is. Considering Ahmet was willing to take on an avatar with unbalanced skills, doesn't that throw her entire system of judgment into question? Answer to this question is definitely yes, because that's biased as shit, even when the guy wanted to die. Like, you should have zapped him. I mean, a homeless man picked up a scarab and then got killed for no reason after being offered clothes and food. You're telling me that, that this guy somehow gets a pass just because he throws a sandy statue on the ground? Technically, like three of his followers held that statue. I feel like I have balanced skills. I could have been the avatar. Yeah, and I mean, there's also the, like we talked about it before. It brings up what is the, you know, where's that line for Ahmet of like what is the bad thing that you do and stuff like that. Like, but that old lady. Yeah, because she, she jaywalk. Like, what did she do? Because <laughs> she even admitted that Harrow has maybe he hasn't done anything bad yet. Even though I was like. Yeah, I feel like his, yeah. his <laughs> I feel like his his penance and whatever maybe did kind of balance up to that point, but she's like, oh, you're gonna be my avatar and we're gonna do some shady shit. So I mean he did just shoot a dude. True, true. <laughs> that's why I, that's why I'm kinda just like you didn't do anything bad yet. But that was for her cause, okay. <laughs> so I was just like, man, these these are these these rules are fucked up. Yeah. Y'all need Jesus now. <laughs> Psych. No, <laughs> uh, but no, that was, uh, but like, honestly, I, I'm just, I am like this whole perfect system. This system seemed more perfect to me coming from Arthur Harrow than it did from the source. But then they also always say, you know, never meet your heroes. Exactly. Because they'll and suck. Don't meet your heroes. Don't meet your gods, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because, because I was like, oh, instantly. Oh, you're not about all this. So this was just a waste of time. Right, right. So for our next question. We have, to whom was Mark saying, I have to finish this. If not, I'll never be free. Because there's a lot of different people that are in the chamber of the gods at that point that he could be speaking to. One of which is Stephen, since we know how he feels about killing people. He could also be talking about himself, like, or talking to himself, trying to convince himself that, you know, he really, like, he has to do this. Because we know that he also isn't really too keen on killing people either, but he will do what he has to do. And it could even be Harrow, because Harrow knows the kind of pain that Conchu can cause his avatars. So maybe like a leveling thing with him, kind of this, sorry, I gotta do this. And it could also be Layla. Like, obviously, like, she's not too keen on this, on killing people either. Um and it could be literally everybody. It just could encapsulate everybody. So I'm, I'm curious as to who you think. Well, I just thought he was just saying it. I didn't know if it was. It's, I guess it's one of those things that I felt like doesn't need to be directed towards anybody. Because in the company that he is with, it's like kind of everybody. It's like Layla needs to hear it to understand what he's a, what he might do. He needs to hear himself say it because he knows that even though he doesn't want to do it, it's close to uh, it, it's the the way that he gets away from Kanchu. Kanchu needs to hear it because Kanchu just is being appeased. So like their deal can be done. That's how, so basically that's, all of the above is your answer to this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I just think it's just him generally saying it 
and then everybody is supposed to interpret it their their own way. Which is which is what I was getting at. It's like I, that's I think it was something that he said, and he was saying it to everybody in the room for different reasons. Yeah, like I I just think like I don't know. I don't think it necessarily needed to be directed at everybody, anybody, but everybody was there to hear it. Yeah, because like obviously Mark doesn't want to kill. He's remorseful for all the people he's had to kill under Conchu, but. This is like your golden ticket out of here, even though it's not. So our next question is, will Layla keep being Taurat's avatar after this? And I hope the answer to that is yes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a yes. Like she'll probably continue to be a superhero in Egypt. Like it felt like that at the beginning of the series, Layla went to Cairo or was afraid to go back to Cairo because of everything with her dad or she just like had that the just trauma attached to being in Cairo but she knows what happens to her dad she knows her dad is at peace um and she's technically connected to someone who has had and could possibly still have conversations with her dad so like she got all the closure that she needs so I think even though something was temporary the arrangement is different and they need more avatars. Yeah. So I would say that I feel like she's going to keep doing that. Like she's She did more as a superhero in like five minutes than anyone else has done. She inspired an Egyptian girl that she saved from getting crushed by a bus. She whooped a lot of people's asses. And um, for the most part, she's got the only avatar that doesn't suck or the only god inside of her that doesn't suck. Every other one is straight up weird. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think that because I think that you will. Yeah, I mean, I I think, yeah. I think that her temporariness may still be temporary. Maybe she doesn't want to do it forever, but at least I know we can kind of assume from the last episode that she enjoyed the powers that she was given as an avatar and the ability to save people. Yeah. And so my next question is... Just how long has Jake Lockley been active, and was he a part of Conchu's desire to keep Mark in his servitude from the beginning of this entire arrangement? Because it seems like Conchu really got along with Jake, and now we know for a fact that Conchu has always known that Jake was around. And he was actively hiding the fact that Jake was around because Mark did murder all those people. Well, Jake did murder all those people um, when Mark was chasing them through Cairo. And they just moved past it real quick. And Kanchu was sitting right there. So it's obvious Kanchu was like, yeah, I know Jake exists. He comes out sometimes. We're real cool. And Jake goes away. Not to mention that Jake is willing. Jake seems very willing to do whatever it takes to deliver justice. Even kill people that get in the way. Even kick a wheelchair. So like, I'm, I'm like, yeah. How long has Jake been active? Has Jake been around since the very beginning, but he is just more of like a uh, extreme fight reaction? Yeah, I feel like from what we know or what we see and are told in this season alone, I would assume that he's at least been a part of Mark's life since he was in the military. Because I, I, I have to believe that that fugue state that he got discharged for was Jake. Yeah. And that still makes me feel like, even though we know that Jake speaks Spanish, I still kind of feel like the weird 
thick accent that we got when he had the bandage on his face was still Jake. Like, I'm going to like, I feel like Jake is always a response to like extreme stress. First, it was like getting hit in the head with a a fucking cane thing. Mm -hmm. And then Mark, like making him black out. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) everybody else is bilingual. Why not? (laughs) Why not Jake? That is true. And then fucking, uh, you know, just this ending fight scene where he just went and demolished everybody. So maybe it's just like so far that's his trigger. But now with them believing that Conchu is gone, I mean, it's, it's also probably just him blacking out, too. It's like a reaction to extreme stress that causes Mark to black out and mm-hmm. just Mark going to sleep in general. Because now that they believe that Jake Lo- or that Conchu is gone and that Jake Lockley doesn't exist because he was never around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's much easier for him to operate. But yeah, I wonder if maybe he is, is from the very beginning. And I'm wondering if maybe that was just part of Kanchu's reason, reasoning because he did say he was in search of a warrior and Jake Lockley is nothing but a warrior. Sign him up. Yeah. He's a warrior that's willing to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And especially considering that like all like Kanchu teased uh, Layla like, you know, as a potential next avatar to keep Mark in servitude mainly so he could probably use Jake Lockley. Because I feel like, yeah, you know who's almost as useful? Mark. He just talks back. Steven, no. Mark, (laughs) eh. And then Jake, thumbs up. So I was like, yeah, if I keep stringing this man's wife in front of him, then he's going to stay here, and then I keep getting to use this guy. Right. So we have one question left. And this question was from... This is another one of our just questions we know the answer to, but we're asking because we've seen it in a lot of different places. The internet wants to know. Yes, because this is a laughable question, and it honestly makes me mad. And I hope when you listen to this, you learn to stop asking and stop thinking about this question. It's only stupid if you know what the comics are. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> maybe you should read some damn comics. Yeah, read some damn comics, then you know the answer to this question. Support Marvel, and maybe we'll get another second season of Moon Knight. Right. Re- run those comic numbers yeah, up. Yeah, run those comic numbers up. Get us a second season. Right. Let's go. But the question itself is, and I've been seeing this a lot, and I guess the question is, is Jake Lockley evil? And the answer is resounding no. He's just aggressive, and he's just, like, he does the job that he's told to do. And just like Stephen was created based off of trauma, we can guess that Mark is or that Jake was probably created from like Mark's unresolved anger and rage that he felt from how he was treated as a kid and how often he was blamed for the death of his brother. Yeah. And I mean, there also could be another traumatic experience that we weren't able to see. Yeah. Because, like, Mark's trauma didn't stop after he went into the military, obviously. Right. So, like, it could be a response from the military also combined with whatever caused him to go into the fugue state in the first place. That got him discharged. Maybe opening up that sarcophagus would have shown them the memories that, like, connected them. Yeah, because right now, Jake Lockley is a response to blacking out. So who knows what causes that? But Jake Lockley is an evil. And I guess the reason why I'm like, stop asking this question is because there's no such thing as an evil alter. That is a shitty, just overused stereotype. Yeah. So please stop. He is just he is just duty bound and operates purely off of aggression. Like Jake is is a person that is, their solution to everything is force. Yeah. And like 
Does that put Jake into some questionable situations? Yes. Does that mean Jake is a cold bastard? Yes. But is he evil? No. Because he still does carry on. He still does confront people that are that have committed crimes that are evil and, you know, that I guess are the, the worst of the worst. So, like, while it's questionable to pass judgment, mm-hmm. he is still not operating in an evil capacity. Yeah, and well, like, we're basing this mostly, obviously, on the comics because we only got that clip of, of Jake. Um, I would, if they're taking mental health and DID as seriously as Oscar Isaac said that they were, I highly doubt that they would put Jake in a position where he would be the quote-unquote evil alter. Like, because that would be a complete, like, disservice. And before any of you argue, what about the dead people in the hospital? I'm not going to say they deserved it because they didn't. <laughs> Unless they did in their falls. We talked about that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. You never know what they did. I could play, I could throw that argument or I could literally just say this. Like Jake Lockley, like we said, he's a person that uses force to get what he wants or not to rewind. Jake Lockley is a person that uses force to get the job done. Like, does that put him in questionable situations? Yes. Does that mean that there can be casualties? Yes. Did you also know that Moon Knight is an anti-hero for a reason? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Jake Lagley isn't evil. He just goes too far. Think of him as if you want to bring in the Batman compared it, oh, comparisons, God. just say Batman with the limiters taken off. He's willing to kill to get the job done. And if you stand in his way, you're probably going to get killed. But there are a lot of Marvel heroes that operate in the exact same capacity. We're not, but the the thing of it is, is he's not evil. He's just aggressive. Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) Put some respect on Jake Lockley's name. Right. But that's a good way to, that's a, that's a way to transition (laughs) into our final thoughts. I'm not saying it's a good way, but it is definitely a way to transition to those final thoughts. So for me, overall, they were able to accomplish a lot of things in this episode, which was really impressive, especially for only having, you know, the four, the 43 minutes. And they definitely could have expanded this on t- to be way longer or make this a like a two-parter kind of finale. Um, and there are definitely areas in this that I wish they would have spent more on. But overall, we got a great episode. And I think I still obviously we still have more questions that I want answers to. So I think I speak for the both of us and probably for most of the internet when I say that this lapis, this last episode was not enough and I want a season two. Yes. Um, I think that this was like, honestly, I think this was a very perfect story. Like it was it dry. It, it stayed true to Moon Knight in so many ways and so, so many detailed ways because it was like you were dropped in the middle of a story that you don't know what's going on. You are introduced to these characters and you find out that there's already a scenario in play. And as you go along, you get caught up, but you also still have more questions. And sometimes those questions are answered and sometimes those questions snowball into other questions. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was like it honestly kept you guessing what was going to happen next. Oscar Isaac played the hell out of several different roles simultaneously, like somehow he was able to develop two people and and a third person into like you know from from one i guess two people from one point to another point where it felt supernatural mm-hmm. you had layla who 
was the supporting actress, but at the same time shined like every time she was on screen. She's, I mean, you know, no offense. She's my favorite. Yeah, she was. Absolutely. She also, like, I think when it comes to the actors in this, Ethan Hawke, like every, everybody else, like yeah. everybody did a fantastic job on this. Honestly, like I think the entire cast did good. The producers, the director, I think the direction was great. I appreciate all of the like little tidbits that of information that he gave afterwards. Like I know that everybody wants a season two. I know that the cast wants a season two, and I hopefully that like they can come up with a good story because I, I think that Marvel isn't gonna let a show that was this popular just be a one and done thing like Moon Knight will return in some capacity. Hopefully it is a movie and a second season of the show. Hopefully there's some Midnight Suns action. There's still so much because there's they left it up in the air where you can do more. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think this was excellent. This was a great project for anyone who has a problem with Layla being the Scarlet Scarab. Oh, well. It's happening, and I hope it ends up in the comic books too, so you guys can get even even angrier. We're gonna get angry emails. Yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, listen, listen. I like the comic books just as much as the next guy, but I thought that this was a great portrayal. I think that every character was handled well, and I think that um, I they couldn't have had a better depiction of Moon Knight. But yes, tune in. To the next episode of Night Night Spectre as we recap the entire season and give our full thoughts and opinions. Yeah, an overcompassing, overarching conversation about the entire series. And then from there, we plan on running and uh, doing some of exploring some of the characters, the comic book runs, and specific issues. Yep. So, so there's still more Moon Knight content to to see from us, even if there's no more episodes if, if moon knight won't return this podcast will damn it <laughs> you can tell kevin feige i said it <laughs> and with that this is the truth learned that being moon knight is not a curse nor a state of penance it's simply who and what he was always meant to be we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please take a second to rate and review us on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts it really helps us grow the show be sure to connect with us on twitch instagram and twitter at lore underscore party thanks for listening and we'll catch you under the blue moon later skaters <laughs>